Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking about our, our spirituality and, and that spirituality just being that, that spirit of God uh, moving through us. Um, you could call our spirituality <clears throat> our passion, our love, what, what gives us meaning and purpose in life and, and what we do with that. And sometimes we can have a real healthy spirituality and sometimes it can be unhealthy. And I like the definition of a saint. A saint is somebody who can will one thing. They just have this incredible focus. Like Mother Teresa, her, her life was dedicated uh, to the poor. And that was her, her focus there. And then uh, quite often with our spirituality, things get in the way. And we maybe don't feel quite so spiritual. And I'd say maybe the number one thing that gets in the way is, is life itself. <laughs> if we didn't have all these other people around, maybe I could be a little more spiritual. So, uh, <laughs> but, it, it's, uh, but we're also created for relationships. So that's uh, the challenge there. So I'm going to read from the the Gospel of John here, the 12th chapter, starting with the the 20th verse here. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was from Galilee. And they said to him, Sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip, he went and told Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it just remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is uh, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we think about our lives and all of us experience um, a lot of death during the course of our lives, we have the, the death at the end of life, but hopefully during life we, we die many times. We die to ideas and thoughts. Uh, uh, we die to maybe a dream or, or something that said, this is who I'm going to be, and then we have to let that, that thought go as we become something different. So especially with faith and that belief in Christ, that death leads to life. What are different things that you have died to? How do you see death? Is it a good thing? Does it lead to new life? And what are some things, maybe one thing that you would like to, to die to right now in your own life? And this moves on many different levels. It's not only on a personal level, but we die to ideas and thoughts as a community. And hopefully we do that as a nation as well. So what is something? How do you see death? Is there something that you would like to die to? Let's just take a few moments to pray and and to think about that silently. Let us pray. Amen. And during the the course of the week, not only today, but through your week, maybe just take some time and think about one thing that's maybe just been been like a track on continuous roll there in your head that just keeps going over and over and over again, and you would just kind of like to to let that go or, or, or to die to it. Maybe some old memory, some old wound. And it's always a a struggle, but it it certainly can be done. Well, for nearly 40 years, uh, Margaret has lived with the memory of a day that her spirit was wounded and scarred deeply. And I'd say we all have these days or these times during our lives. Margaret, uh, as a young kid, uh, she attended a one-room schoolhouse. And in a one-room schoolhouse, you, you stayed in that same room from kindergarten through eighth grade. And often, so you would have the same teacher year after year after year. My dad went to a one-room schoolhouse as well. 
And so you either hit it off with the teacher or, or you did not. And if you didn't, <laughs> you had her again the next year. Well, from day one, Margaret always had this tension with her teacher, Miss, Miss Gardner. And Margaret was just this carefree, happy-go-lucky, joyful little kid, and she was absent-minded. And Miss Gardner was very serious, a no-nonsense type of person. And it seemed like every day, uh, Margaret would just go outside and start playing at recess and get caught up in what she was doing and chasing butterflies, and, and she would just be late getting back to class. And Miss Garner, day after day, would remind her, you need to be on time, you need to be on time. And finally, one day, when, when Margaret was nine years old, she, she came into class late, and she was running because she knew she was late. And Miss Garner said, you, we have been waiting for you. And she said in a very stern voice, get up here to the front of the class right now. And she knew she was in trouble. And Margaret went to the front of the class just very quietly and faced her classmates. And then Miss Gardner said, Margaret, she said to the class, Margaret is a bad girl. And she is irresponsible. And I have worked with her and worked with her and worked with her. We need to teach her. We need to force her to see herself for who she is. And she told those children, said, one by one, I want each of you to come up here and take a piece of chalk and I want you to write something bad about Margaret on that board. And Margaret was sitting there just trembling. Is this true? Is this really me? And those kids, one by one, went up to the chalkboard and took that piece of chalk and they wrote sentences. Margaret is stupid. Margaret is selfish. Margaret is fat. Margaret is careless. Margaret always gets us in trouble. And she just started to cry. And those words felt like a knife piercing her soul. I've always wondered about that saying, we, we all grew up with sticks and stones. <clears throat> may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think words often hurt more than those stones. And she just felt horrible. And, and the life, the light went out of her. And it was the longest afternoon of her life. And she went home and she crawled into bed saying she had a stomach ache. <clears throat> and that pain never really left her. And she started becoming what those kids wrote about her. And she found herself 40 years later in a therapist's office trying to work with this pain and, and this grief and this sadness that she didn't know quite what to do with us. And in thinking about Margaret's story, I think all of us have experienced humiliation and pain where we feel inadequate and not good enough. And those memories just linger with us. And we don't know what to do. We don't know how to get rid, to get rid of it. <clears throat> and also, I'd say some of us, I know I have done this as well, that we have been part of that group mentality where we have written something or said something to somebody that hurts them deeply. And not only does it scar their soul, but it harms us as well. 
Can we, can we heal from our wounds? Can we receive a new spirit? Can we let go of that pain and actually have new life? Can we be like that seed and bear much fruit? Uh, Father Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic priest, he says, No spirituality can pretend to be mature and healing if it does not struggle with the timeless questions of suffering and pain and death. I think it's one thing that uh, the way of Christ or the Christian faith does really well when it's healthy We address our woundedness, the pain, and the trauma of life, not only as individuals, but as a nation as well. We know how there is a way for us to address the pain. And the trite answers that we often receive about our pain or our struggles simply don't work. We're struggling. Someone says, oh, just pray more. Just pray. Pray more. That certainly can be a right step, but it's not necessarily going to solve everything. Just go to church. Have more faith. The reason this happened is you didn't have enough faith. Be more generous. Just stay focused on Jesus and don't let the darkness in and everything will be okay. Yet often innocent people like Margaret get deeply wounded. And so what do we do with our woundedness. Margaret became depressed and angry. She had these feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness. And she was often bitter and cynical as life went on. And she did what a lot of us do. I know I've done this as well. She simply didn't know what to do with the pain, so she just passed it on. What we call a scapegoat. I can't hold this, so I'll just pass this anger, I'll just pass this bitterness on to someone else, and maybe they can carry it. And we don't even know why we're angry or why we're doing that. We just pass it on. And I can see this in myself, I can see this in individuals, and I can see this working through our nation. We just pass the anger and the pain among each other. Almost like playing tag, you're it. You take it now. And it's just an ongoing cycle. And Margaret found herself growing more and more bitter and cynical. But the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, offers us an alternative. It's often called the way of Christ, the, the way of the cross, the way of love, the way of compassion, or the third way. We let our pain and our suffering transform us. Instead of just passing it on, we hold it. We sit with it. We acknowledge it. We let it teach us and transform us, and then we return love. And we see this in in Jesus on the cross. He receives all this pain, all this anger, all these hurtful words said to him, but instead of just passing it on or escalating the, the meanness, the violence, the anger, he holds it. And what he returns is love. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we're called to do this as well, to stop the bitterness, the cynicism, and the anger in the world. We're receptors of it. And with the Spirit of God, we hold it, and we return love and compassion. And it's really easy to say that. 
but it's much more difficult and challenging to live it. But we let the pain transform us. And Jesus' death leads to new life, to a renewed spirit. And we call that resurrection. And when we think about death, and we, we, we struggle with death and what to do with it, there's actually two kinds of death. There is a, a terminal death that ends life and it ends all possibilities. That's it. It's over and it's done. But then there's another kind of death that we talk about in faith. And it's called the Paschal death. Actually, our, our last name, I've often wondered about that. <laughs> Is this a good thing or not? <laughs> but it's called the Paschal death. And with this kind of death, it ends one kind of life and it opens a person, a community, and a nation to a deeper, richer, more spiritual life. The Paschal death. And it's this image of a grain of wheat falling into the ground. It dies and then it bears much fruit. It becomes an apple tree, an apricot tree. It becomes this, these incredible vegetables, just a beautiful flower. The seed dies and it bears much fruit. Something better comes from that, from that death. And this is the heart of our faith. We look at death much differently. Well, like a seed or Jesus, can we die <clears throat> to our pain, our suffering, our woundedness? Can we die to bitterness and cynicism, to our hatred? And can we give birth by the Spirit of God to something much better? A renewed spirit, the love, the joy, and the peace that Jesus says, this is the fruit of my spirit. <clears throat> Jesus says, I give you my spirit. Are we willing to receive that spirit or do we want to hang on <clears throat> to that which is old? Because in order to receive it, we have to die to the old to make room for something new. Can Margaret die to her past pain and that trauma? Can she have new life, a new or a transformed spirit? And can we have new life? Or are we always defined by our woundedness, by the pain and the trauma that we go through? Can we be, move forward as a nation? We always have these conversations. Why do we have to keep talking about slavery? Why do we have to talk about these lynchings? Why do we have to talk about things going on at the border? Because there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of trauma there. And we can either just keep passing it on, or we can name it. And work with it, examine it, hold it, and grow and learn from it and return God's love, God's peace, and God's wisdom. So it's very important, instead of just passing it on or denying it, that we acknowledge it within that light of God's love. <clears throat> and Jesus offers us this different view or this way of life. It's just the cycle of rebirth, this paschal mystery, death and renewal. <clears throat> and this cycle, we all know, but we never, maybe haven't thought about it too much. It starts with Good Friday, the least attended service of the year. <laughs> it's about death and pain and suffering. And it's not just physical death. As a matter of fact, I'd even say that's way on the back burner. 
It's those things in life that prevent us from truly living. And we need to let go and die to them. So the cycle starts, I would say, with Good Friday. And then we move into Easter, which is the reception of new life, a new way of living, a new way of seeing. And then there's the 40 days where we're, we're working with this new life when, when Jesus was walking on earth again after his resurrection. And then he ascends. And that ascension is letting go of the old. It goes to heaven. We receive the blessing of the past. We receive the blessing of that community or that person. And we let it go. And once the ascension happens, then there's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and we receive a a new and transformed spirit, a new awakening. And it's an ongoing cycle. And Rollheiser says this cycle is not something that we just undergo one time at the end of life. It is something, rather, that we do daily. Daily, he says, we need to go through this cycle. Good Friday, Easter, Ascension, and receiving that new spirit. Think of all the death that we must work through during our life. We might not use that word death, but that's what it is. We die to our youth. That's hard to let go of, isn't it? (laughs) We can fight it as long as we want. And when we're fighting, trying to hang on to that youth, we're just miserable. <laughs> Our kids said the other day to me, you're just not hip, Dad. And I can say, you're right, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be hip or cool. <laughs> that is long gone. <laughs> and there's freedom in just being who we are. This is my skin. <laughs> this is who I am. And each part of life has its own beauty and its own gifts. We die to our youth. We die to dreams. Both good dreams and dreams that, you know, if we hang on to that dream. I wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm supposed to be long retired by now. (laughs) And I would be absolutely miserable if I was still hanging on to that dream. It's just, it's not going to happen. We die to that dream and we let it go and we accept a new dream, a new vision, something else. We die to wholeness, our well-tuned, well-manufactured, that's not the best word there, but our well-created bodies, they don't stay that way. (laughs) And we have to die to this thought, this image of what it means to be whole. Every relationship we ever enter into is absolutely beautiful. And we call that the honeymoon. (laughs) And it takes some maturity to realize that a honeymoon always ends. We have to die to the honeymoon. (laughs) And get down to the business of just loving each other and all of our messes and gunk. But there's beauty in that well. And there's also more freedom. And we learn to accept one another as we are. We die to honeymoons. We die to ideas of God and church. We have this idea of what God is supposed to look like, what church is supposed to look like. And we let go. God isn't, maybe initially like when I was a kid, God was the the old white guy on the throne. And we die to that image. And maybe God just becomes this presence 
this love, this grace, and this goodness. And we die in all these things to bitterness and anger and resentment. And we have new life. We receive the gift of God's Spirit when we let go. And we receive the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, and the goodness. So what would we like to die to today? What track is just running over and over in our mind and we just can't let it go? (laughs) And we need to let it go and, and die to that. What are we hanging on to? Can we let go and trust God? Do we really believe that death leads to new life? And what does death and resurrection and Pentecost look like in our day-to-day lives? Believe it or not, I've seen it numerous times over my years here in all of us. Death, resurrection, and receiving that spirit of Pentecost. There's so many possibilities. After decades of depression and anxiety, Margaret sought help and relief with a, a therapist, a really good therapist, a person of great faith who had lived life. And after two years of weekly, weekly counseling, Margaret was finally beginning to see the light again and starting to feel alive. And she was at her last session. Her therapist was ready to send her out into the world again. And she said, Margaret, there's just one more thing I would like for you to do. I want you to go back. She goes, you have grown so much. I can see the the sparkle in your eyes and, and you're being a blessing to people in your community and your life, but there's still more work to be done. She goes, I want you to go back to that one room schoolhouse one more time. And I want you to tell me all the details of that day again. Describe each kid and what they wrote. Describe your teacher, Miss Garner. Just name everything. And we call this naming your death. There's real power in naming that which we want to die to. Kind of this trend. I know a lot of people like to say, I won't say that out loud because then I'll give it power. No, when we don't say it, <laughs> it has power over us. We name the death. We spend time with it. And so one by one, Margaret closed her eyes and she started describing each student and what they wrote on the chalkboard. In many ways, this was kind of easy for her because she had lived this for 40 years. She knew the story by heart. And as she started describing those kids and those things that they wrote on the board, she cried and cried over this memory that had just been planted in her soul. And when she was done, the tears would not stop. She was dying. A good death. And the therapist said, Margaret, you forgot one person. And Margaret said, no, I named everybody. She goes, no, there's one person that you forgot. She said, close your eyes again. And Margaret did. And the therapist said, someone is sitting in the back of that room, Margaret. And he's walking towards Miss Garner. Can you see him? And she hands him a piece of chalk. And he walks up to that chalkboard. He picks up an eraser. 
And he erases everything that was written. Every cruel thing that was written about you, he has erased. And that board is clean. Can you see that? And now he takes that chalk and he starts filling up that board. Margaret is loved. Margaret is gentle. Margaret is kind. Margaret is full of joy. She is strong and she is beautiful. And he just filled up that entire board with all these wonderful things about Margaret. And she started to smile and to laugh. And then there were tears of joy. And she was finally free from her past. She had died and received a transformed or a renewed spirit. And I was thinking about this story this week, a true story actually. Is this just a psychological trick? (laughs) Just a little play on words. Or is it just wishful theology? Or is there a real power in naming our pain? Naming our deaths and spending time with it and then letting it go. And then receiving that new spirit from God. New life and new possibilities. Because this is the, the heart of our faith. That we can be renewed. We can be restored. And I pray for all of us that we may experience death in many ways. That we may let go and receive that Spirit of God which renews us and restores us each and every day. Amen.